0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are celebrating our third birthday, which was on April 15th, along with our Breaking the 150,000 download barrier a week earlier. Today, we're releasing three special conversations, each containing one of the interviews we included with this week's episode. Over the weekend, we will release more typical conversational cuts from the main podcast recording session. Before we start, I want to thank the three sponsors of our third birthday celebration, Magical Pharmaceuticals, Novo Nordisk, and Inventiva Pharma, along with some of the patients advocacy organizations that have been supporters since we started the podcast. Notably included the Global Liver Institute, Nash Knowledge, the Fatty Liver Foundation, and the Fatty Liver Alliance. I'm sure I've forgotten somebody. Please accept my apology. Finally, I want to thank Louise Campbell, our lead surfer, who joined me for all three of these interviews, and Stephen Harrison and Jorn Schottenberg, the two other lead surfers who didn't join these interviews, but have been with us on the podcast episode and throughout this entire fantastic three-year journey. This conversation captures the interview that Louise Campbell and I conducted with Frederic Krenn, CEO of Inventiva Pharma. After Frederick, who had never been on Surfing the Nash Tsunami before, tells our audience a little bit about his path to become the CEO and co-founder of Inventiva. The discussion proceeds to recover the first time that Frederick and I met in 2019, early in the development of Lanafebrenor. And over the course of the interview, Frederick discusses the reasons he was so confident when we met then, starting with the release of the Phase 2A native trial that shows statistical significance in both Nash endpoints, fibrosis reduction and NAFLD activity score, as well as some secondary diabetes-related endpoints like glycohemoglobin. He referenced this is the Phase 3 trial that is up and recruiting in 23 countries right now with 350 patients enrolled and an anticipated complete enrollment by end of year and data by late 2025. He mentions the combination Legend trial which uh, combines Lani with the SGLT2 agent empagliflozin, and the presence in the Phase 3 trial of significant numbers of patients also taking GLP1 agents as ways to look at how well Lani can function in a multi-drug, multi-disease environment. He discusses Lani's safety profile. He discusses uh, weight gain which is the one perceived possible negative, and discusses why he does not think it's going to be an issue here, and discusses the ways that Imantiva has collaborated with patient advocates in trial design, recruitment, and other issues. As we wind down the interview, I ask what motivated Imantiva to look at adiponectin and ALT as early markers as efficacy, or lack thereof. Frederick talks about their thinking on that, and notes that three years from now, he anticipates that Lanny might come to market, or at least be close. Each of the interviews in this series provides an opportunity to understand what drives a key player in the evolving community, and what they see happening in the future from their vantage point. Listening to these three interviews and the conversations that capture the lead surfer dialogue will give you a pretty good flavor of where we've been and where we're going from the vantage points of several different individuals. I'm thrilled to have been part of it. We're here with our third and final interview of the birthday celebration with actually someone who's not been on the podcast before, who we're delighted to have with us, Frederic Krenn, uh, CEO of Inventiva Pharma. Good morning, Frederic. How are you today? Hey.
1: Frederic Krenn. Very good. Good morning, Roger.
0: Thank you for being our sponsor for this event and thank you for joining us. And, and Louise is with us as well. Good morning, Louise.
1: Louise Campbell. Yes, good afternoon. here. Yeah nice. A pleasure to be here
0: again. One of the interesting things about this podcast, Frederic, is that we are always in at least two parts of the day, and sometimes we have morning, afternoon, and night all at the same time. With that, do us a favor, just take a moment and tell our audience just a little bit about your background and how you came to be in the
1: position you're in right now. Yeah, all right. I'm, um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Inventiva. It's a company we created uh, 10 years ago. I've done the classical uh, CEO um, uh, work or experience with that, especially in big pharma in, in different position. And then at a certain moment, I just decided it was time for me to try to create a company and, and provide a, a drug to patient. And that's how we came to develop Lanifibrenor. And now we are close to the finish line and doing a, a pivotal phase three that uh, hopefully will uh, bring this promising compound to, to patients.
0: Very, very exciting. When we first met, I think it was November of 2019, maybe, at uh, ASLD in Boston, I was advising Yasmin Rahimi on some things. At that point in time, you expressed some real confidence that Lana Fibonur would come to market and would be different from Ella, which was due to come before, but obviously is not going to come to market in Nash. And it's worked out pretty much the way you said so far, hey?
1: Yeah, good. So <laughs> I'm still confident. And um, of course, I meet with a lot of investigator and the team, and you know, we know the drug works. If you look at the phase 2B data, it was great. It was great on the histology parameters, but also on the metabolic parameters, on the liver enzymes, on, of course, a- a- HbA1c. So, yes, we have a, a drug that works uh, with a good tolerability. We just need to conduct this phase 3, get the results, and hopefully we'll be in a position to file and uh, look for accelerated approval. So,
0: what have the last three years um, brought for lanofibrenor? Three years ago, I mean, we were just at the beginning of the uh, I guess a phase 2 process, and, yeah. and you're much further along now. So what is the company and what have you been doing to move the drug forward in the last three yeah, years?
1: Yeah, so many things, of course. So of course, we build on the on the success of Native. We, if you put yourself back in, uh, in 2020 when the result came out, this was the first oral drug to show that the compound in six months was able to resolve NASH at the same time also to reduce fibrosis, uh, which are, as you know, the two uh, clinical endpoints that are required by FDA and MEA to, for uh, accelerated or conditional approval. And also we have shown that we were also statistically significant on the composite endpoints so of patient with both Nash resolved and, and one stage fibrosis reduction, so really a, a home run. And on top of that, an asset that showed that it was statistically significant on reducing hp one c on more or less normalizing liver enzymes, uh, positive on metabolic profile, etc. So all of things that, that we've been publishing. Then, and then from there, you know, it's a question of meeting with the FDA, agreeing on the design of the phase three, get breakthrough therapy designation. Once again there, we were, I think, the third compound at that time to get breakthrough in NASH. And then a lot of work to prepare for this uh, phase three that now is up and running. We're present in 23 countries, so it's quite incredible for me that has been in this adventure for the past 10 years that, uh, to imagine that today a uh, patient in 23 countries in more than 300 clinical trial sites are in the study, are every day taking their, their oral drug. It's, I think it's quite uh a good accomplishment, and all of that in a period of time with COVID, where there was a lot of disorganization. So there's been a lot of heavy lifting. And luckily, uh, this is past us, and we're targeting to to finish enrollment by by the end of the year, which means that we'll have the the results, top line result in the second half of, of 25. And then you know uh, th- that was this is the main study, and then in parallel we're working on a trial with Professor Cusi that I know you know well in patient with type 2 diabetes. This is something we really want to continue to. Explore because when you look at, Nash is competitive. There are several drugs over there with good profile, and certainly something that is unique to us is the fact that we improve insulin sensitivity in patients with type 2 diabetes, and we also have shown that in the phase 2b patient with pre-diabetes, we stop their progression versus to versus to type 2 diabetes. So certainly, uh, you know, this insulin sensitivity uh, property that's something we want to to explore, and that will differentiate us from competition and. This study with Professor Cusey will will help us to do that. The study is fully enrolled and uh, we are looking to publish the result uh, very soon because the target is mid Q2 of this year. So that's one study that is ongoing. And the other study that we also think will be very promising is a combination study uh, of Lani with uh, SGLT2. so, although LANI showed very robust uh, efficacy on NAF resolution fibrosis and cardiometabolic markers, I think the combination with an SLG2 and pagliflozin could show additional benefit. We also have patients under GLP1 in the main phase 3 study, so also there we'll be able to study the combination of LANI plus GLP1. So, you know, all of this data in combination will, will be helpful in the, in the life of LANI once it will be in the on the market. So, Fred-
0: Frederic, that's quite
1: a lot. Louise,
0: I've got a couple of questions, but let me turn to you first. Now, what would you like to ask Frederic about this morning?
1: For me, it all sounds very exciting, and I think I'd be looking more at the side effect profiles, the tolerability for patients. Were there any particular problems that come across in the different groups, for example, diabetes versus just normal NASH patients? Anything that we could pick out that we could look at targeting for education, for patient support, those sort of areas that... keep People on drug that is successfully proven to work for them. So, on the side effect, the drug is um, well tolerated. We had a very very low dropout if you look at the at the phase two B, and I think this is also something that I think is remarkable about the drug. It's it's, it's well tolerated. We had uh, some cases of uh, increased weight gain, which is explained due to the mechanism of action, where an in insulin we improve, as I mentioned, insulin sensitivity, and this comes with a mechanism that is well known with p par gamma which is a shift from the visceral fat to the adipose tissue, so the, from pro-inflammatory visceral fat to less inflammatory fat in the adipose tissue. This is something we have communicated on, and I think we have shown some data that was really, I think, very well received. Is The fact that when you look at patients that gain weight with LANI, this comes with improvement in the metabolic profile. So patients uh, will have an improvement in HDL, triglyceride, blood pressure, adiponectin, pro-BNP etc. When you look at patients on placebo that gain weight, it's all the contrary all of that goes on the wrong direction and that's explainable because it's you know it's a, it's a weight gain due to a, a wrong lifestyle or not enough sport or too much uh, eating the wrong food and this is totally different with Lani so it's really this good weight notion which is well understood by doctors especially diabetologists because they, they know about this consequence for example of insulin uh, and it's something we need to, we continue to educate and it's also one of the reason why I think this combination trial with SGLT2 or the data we'll be able to generate with GLP-1 I think will help show that if you add an SGLT2 or a GLP-1 you manage to control the, the, the potential weight gain you have with with Lani. Uh, Louise, you mentioned education. This is something very important and uh, we are involved in, uh, in working with patient association. This is really very important and they do a, a tremendous work because they are able to communicate with patients and we're able to, when possible, to include the feedback from patients. For example, we recently opened a website for the patients that are in the Phase 3, and this has been done with the patient association that provided us with the feedback on how a patient would look at this website. We have recently improved our design of the Phase 3 by taking into account the FDA feedback and how the FDA sees the way, the optimal way to get approval. And when you look at the trial, we think the modification now are making the trial more patient appealing so we have reduced the number of biopsy from three to two Uh, we have reduced the consent from seven years so before a patient had to give its approval for a seven-year trial so that's certainly quite quite an engagement and now it's 72 weeks So, yes, when when we can, we really try to work as much as possible with patient association because, you know, they they do a tremendous job. And at the end of the day, what motivates us and I know motivates Inventiva is, you know, to provide a drug that will improve the life of these patients. So,
0: Frederick, I guess I have two more questions this morning. First, one of the things we find ourselves talking about from time to time on the podcast, including in one of our interviews yesterday, is the idea that payers might not be comfortable having to wait 70 to 12 to 18 months to see a one-level reduction in fibrosis in 25 to 30% of patients to see whether the drug is working. That that might not sound like a good bargain, particularly in the U.S., where patients turn over frequently. Stephen Harrison talked last fall on an episode of this podcast, and we talked with Michael Corman last fall about some of the work you've been doing with adiponectin and ALT to sort out more quickly whether patients are succeeding or not. I'm wondering what motivated you to take a look at that issue and whether you are happy with what you're learning so far.
1: Yeah, I think you're definitely right. So, if, if you take, for example, the result from resmeturum, they see in their phase three, more or less, they have a 20% responder. So you have eight patients out of ten that need an, an additional treatment or another treatment and that could cause a problem with payer. So yes, we ask ourselves the, the same question. We are more on the 40% of responder, but that still means that six would potentially need a different treatment or to be treated for a longer period of time than what we have measured so far. And that's why we did all this analysis. And, and, and there we're Lucky because when you look at the drug, and you look at if you have a patient and you take a blood sample, and after let's say six months of treatment, you see it's a deponecting increasing, you see it's ALT, AST, GGT that are normalized, uh, you look at uh, HbA1c, you see that it drops, you know, you have all of these uh, uh, easy markers that indicate that the drug is responding, uh, and so, you know, the, the probability that it's not resolved and, uh, and it's driving down the fibrosis and, and the fibrosis improvement, it's quite high. So, yeah, we're working on this easy biomarker to try to be able to identify patients that are potentially likely to, to respond to, to or that would be great for the doctors and, and then also for the payers. And, yeah, and of, of course the, the
0: patients. Patient, yeah. You make a great point that there are so many different metabolic markers that should all be going in the same direction here that there are lots of ways to look at it. That's a unique benefit of having a PPARs compared to some of the more specifically targeted drugs. The other question, I guess, is uh, so Stephen um, on the main interview said he was going to be controversial, that he thought that in three years there would only be two medications approved at that point in time, uh, maybe even one, but Resmita and maybe Oka. Do you think you'll make it in three
1: years? Uh, So, well, it's um, just about there because we we plan to, so as I said, Lanifibrenor targeting the end of the phase three recruitment towards the second half of this year. Then it's 18 months uh, treatment. So we'll have the data in the second half of 25. So, you know, the time to file and get approval will be somewhere in 2026. So we're around the the three years mentioned by, by Steve. But I think Steve is uh, he, positive on our drug. We work with him. I would uh, include Lani as a, a drug that would make it to, to the finish line.
0: So with that, let me thank you for your 15 minutes this morning. This has been a fantastic conversation. I look forward to seeing you in Vienna uh, <laughs> at the end of June. Frederick, this has been fantastic. Thanks again for sponsoring. I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this interview or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions, surfingnash.com. This weekend, we will be releasing five more conversations that represent the body of the actual episode that Stephen, Yorn, Louise, and I conducted, and we released to you folks on Wednesday night. Next week, we'll be joined by the French endocrinologist Cyril Cossi, who will be talking about the Interplay between endocrinology and hepatology, both in research and in clinical care pathways in France, it promises to be a fascinating conversation. So, until then, stay safe, surfin. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye bye now.